You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Another uh, great week of reading through the Bible in one year, and that is the point of this podcast. If you're listening to this for the first time, mm-hmm. we uh, recommend going back to the very beginning. We're trying to read through the Bible in a year. Matt and I did it last year. It was amazing. This year, our goal is to record our conversations about it uh, for ourselves and for our friends and family. But really, the goal is uh, we're learning as we're going. This is our third one. (laughs) And what we're learning is we can't possibly squeeze in all the little nuggets and insights that we're getting through this process. So our goal is uh, kind of morphing, as your goals for this year will morph in 2018. But... uh, our goal is, you know, we're just going to try and hit the major parts of the story so that as you listen to this, you will get the major themes and the major storylines of the scriptures because we think they're worth knowing and worth uh, being familiar with. And so we find ourselves today in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, uh, all the way through Genesis chapter 13. Yeah, and just for those who are following along, we are covering days 5 and 6. Five and six of the read through the Bible in a year. So let's just get into it. A lot has happened since God said, let there be light. Correct. And we find ourselves all the way up to uh, post-flood. So God has flooded the earth. He's cleansed it of all violence. Mm-hmm. And he has found it and saved it for the sake of his love and mercy and through Noah. And so Noah built an ark. We got through that. And now um, we are in chapter nine. Verse 18. Where there's like a recreation. Oh, yeah. And um, and at the beginning of anything, really, we'll see uh, these genealogies. Yeah. The interesting thing is, well, I almost feel like it's the depressing thing, is we see immediately the first thing that happens out of the ark is there's sin still. Man is still corrupted. It still follows them. One of the first things Noah does is he becomes a man of the soil and creates a vineyard. And as soon as the vine is ready, as soon as the grapes are ready, the first thing he does is get wasted. Noah gets so drunk. And again, they don't show um, when you're painting your newborn babies like your baby room and you're using a Noah's Ark theme. It's a beautiful theme of God's promise. Don't get me wrong. But as soon as Noah's back, he gets so drunk uh, that some horrible stuff happens. Now, the, the Bible records that Ham uh, made fun of his father's nakedness. And yes. so, again, we don't want to get too theological here, but it is way, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger issue than just seeing his dad, dad. and going, ha ha. It's definitely it, a euphemism of... For, for power. For, yeah. Essentially... Uh, Ham is trying to take power. He sees the opportunity of a new world and says, I want to be, I think I'm stronger than my dad. And then when his brothers, Japheth and Shem, Shem. are like, what are you doing? It all goes wrong for Ham. And as a result, this is why this amazingly powerful curse is laid down. So it's a new new world, but the same thing is happening. happening. They're immediately the garden. It's just like Adam and Eve is being, uh, being expelled from the garden is repeating itself. Only now Noah has to tell Ham, you are cursed. You're all your line mm-hmm. is cursed. And Shem will be the carrier of the promise. And Japheth will serve Shem. And mm-hmm. Ham will serve both. 
Right. And that's when we get into the table of nations. Now, just like at Christmas, there's a, um, a genealogy of Christ. So now the genealogies, who comes from uh, Ham, Japheth, and, and Shem, Shem, it's like it's a whole new creation of people. And so the list, there's a list in chapter uh, 10, in chapter 10, and they call it the table of nations. It tells where everybody comes from. And basically Shem. Well, let's go with least important, which is Japheth. And the main nation to like pull from him is the sons of Javan, which end up becoming the Ionic Greeks. And so most of the European nations, like the Romans and all that come from the line of Japheth. Japheth. All right. What about Shem? Uh, well, we go to Ham. I know, but I was just wanting I know to get you, to the good news. I know okay. you want to get to it. Well, Ham is the interesting one. Ham's the interesting one. His line is the line with a curse on it. and But Ham is the youngest of the three boys, and so this is why he's trying to do a power grab in this new uh, earth, because he's not promised an inheritance. He gets the least of all the inheritance. So he's got to get it any so, way he can. So this is, is a common theme is the youngest will constantly try to steal an inheritance for himself. And Ham's line is cursed. And in Ham's line, there are a lot of power hungry people, most notably Nimrod. And you just see an establishing of a lot of power hungry nations uh, like Babylon, Assyria, yeah, here's the list. Cush, Egypt, Canaan, Babel, Assyria, Nineveh, the Amorites, Sodom and Gomorrah. These are all, and these are highlights of the names you might recognize if you were to read this. And uh, as the story plays out over thousands of years, all of these descendants mm-hmm. are almost all, to a T, the bad guys. Yeah, enemies to the line of Shem. Now we can jump into now the line of Shem. Now let's jump into Shem, because he is... The promise blessing is on Shem. So who comes from Shem? Uh, so it's interesting because weirdly there's not a lot of nations established through the line of Shem. Right. I noticed that. Uh, Shem actually would be considered one of the weaker lineages. Hmm. Uh, the one name of note is Eber, which it's theorized that the that the Hebrew name, like the oh, term Hebrew yeah. comes from sons of Eber. Uh, Doesn't that mean to wander or like a nomadic kind of living? Like the idea yes. of Hebrew. So this is where we first hear the word Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, which God's people will be called. And it, they, and it, it insinuates a um, nomadic style of living off the lands, like um, agriculture with, mm-hmm. with animals and growing farming, but really it's nomadic. It's nomadic. They don't have cities. They don't have colonies or towns. And this is why there aren't really any listed. Right. And this is also the idea of kind of, as we get to Abraham and all of God's people, this earth is kind of not our home. Mm -hmm. Like God's people are never fully home because our real home is the Garden of Eden where we walk with God or heaven or a new creation. And so we're walking through our inheritance that's not yet been fully established. So anyway, I'm so, jumping the gun. No, there. but all right. So in chapter 10, Shem's line ends with uh, Peleg and Joktan. And it ends here because it wants to f- further elaborate in chapter 11 about the events that happened during the time of Peleg and Joktan. All right. So what happens, what happens next in chapter 11? So in chapter 11, we have the famous story of the Tower of Babel, which... Uh, most historians, like within the church fathers and early rabbi- rabbinic, rabbinic, 
rabbinic, yeah, yeah, rabbinic literature, uh, would agree that uh, the descendant of Ham, Nimrod, had established this empire, mm-hmm. and he wanted to secure this empire by creating a uh, source where, like, a central location right. for everyone to live, and so he creates this tower to counteract the command from God to be fruitful and multiply and spread across the earth. Yeah, see, that's the question. It's like when you read the Tower of Babel, so the story is God's going to confuse all the languages because everybody say, they say in their heart, oh, we're going to work together and there's nothing we can't do mm-hmm. and we'll build a tower to the heavens and we will be God. Mm-hmm. And so we've heard the story that way. As, we, as we're rereading it, we're realizing um, that is true, but God's not just arbitrarily saying, ooh, I'm, I'm scared they're going to be too powerful. It actually is a, a breaking of his original intention for mankind to be fruitful and multiply, to spread out over the earth. And care for it. And care for it. And so when we stop doing that, we gather together and we realign kind of the priorities of humanity and the priorities of ruling over the earth, which are totally wrong. And so this is kind of an act of God's mercy to the earth mm-hmm. and for the good of his promises. Because again, these are the... These are their uh, descendants of Ham. They aren't carrying uh, a promise. Yet yeah. God loves the descendants mm-hmm. of Ham. He's just like, they don't carry the promise. Correct. So we're not going to let them make the rules. So he creates uh, here at Babel, he creates the different languages, languages, scatters everybody and says, you know what? The best way you're going to do this, the best way you're going to care for the earth is to be in your own tribes, speaking your own language. And it'll take some time uh, before we can all speak one language. And I do have to say, I can't, yes. it's hard not to say this, okay. but later in the New Testament, I know we're in the Old Testament time, um, I know, but it won't hurt anybody to hear this. Um, Jesus, after he ascends to heaven, his death and resurrection, there's a thing called Pentecost, where people are speaking in tongues, and now the oh. gospel is bringing people back together under the reign of Christ. So, Correct. So that instinct of us to work together and to all be together and speak one language is going to be restored, but properly under the reign of Christ. And so I know sometimes Babel seems weird or it seems like a myth, but I believe it. It's in the word of God because God knows. And so you're seeing the plan of man uh, going against the plans of God. But then we get to chapter 12. Well, yeah. So then the story continues with Shem's line and goes, works his all the way down to Terah and Abram or Abraham, as we'll get to know him. He'll change his name. Uh, Abram means exalted father. Yes. Abraham means... Father of many nations. Nations, right. So, which both are kind of a joke because the dude cannot make make babies. Or his wife can't. We don't really know. They didn't have the test back then. So, Terah and Abram and his family, they are actually living in the land of Ur, which is out in Babylon, uh, far, pretty far east of the promised land, Canaan. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the story of Terah deciding, let's move to Canaan. We don't understand the motivations fully or why they want to do that, but they start making this journey towards Canaan. Which and, is pretty far, right? Which is pretty far. And they end up stopping midway in the land of Haran. And uh, most people would say they stopped there because... Uh, they are idolaters. They are worshiping uh, the moon goddess, 
and the land of Haran worshipped the same moon goddess as in the land of Ur. So the idea is that Terra stops there because it's a familiar place. He's older. He can't deal with the traveling anymore, and he just halts yeah. there. And also, um, you, this is all in the land of Mesopotamia, where it's like the Fertile Crescent, mm-hmm. cradle of civilization, Tigris, Euphrates, these major rivers. And so it's yeah, it's comfortable. He gets tired. They stop there, and this is where God calls Abram, Abram out of idolatry. He says, which is great. We see the story like God always acts on our behalf to call us out of death. He calls Abram, and he says the impossible. He says to Abraham, and this is really uh, chapter 12. 12. Yep. And chapter 13, um, you'll have it. Chapter 15. Well, actually, chapter 15. These are the places where God will make a promise, a really huge promise to Abraham. And the promise is that you'll become a great nation, that your name will be blessed. Anybody who curses you will be cursed. All families. And really, I mean, chapter chapter 12, the gospel, again, is being pronounced it's an audacious promise to Abraham, this guy who's first generation, like mm-hmm. listening to the voice of God, and God is promising that through him, all nations on earth will be blessed, which we look back through the lens of Christ, recognizing all nations and all families are blessed because of uh, the line of Christ coming through Abraham. Mm-hmm. So that promise is made really early in the Bible. It's important for us to know that, that the plan of God has always been to fulfill his promise to the whole earth. To the earth, to restore, uh, to, to bless the earth, and the promise of the seed of the woman mm-hmm. crushing the head of the enemy, like in restoring uh, completeness to humanity, completeness being with God uh, over the earth without death. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, what do you want to say? So, now? well, I was just going to continue on with the story where as soon as this promise is given, mm. we always see immediately the promise is tested. So God says, this is the land. He brings them to the land of Canaan. This is the land. He wanders around the land, and there's a famine. Immediately, halfway through uh, chapter 12, and he has to leave the land of promise. And this is kind of a common theme, is they leave the land of promise and end up in Egypt. Because when during a famine, uh, the one place that's always going to have water is Egypt because of the Nile. The Nile River. You can't, you can't deny all that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I was going to say, too, uh, this always reminds me of as soon as there's a promise of God, even with Jesus, we read, mm-hmm. you know, he was announced, this is my son, and then he goes into the desert and is tested. And I know- like, Or even with his birth. Right. Joseph is like, or Joseph gets a dream saying, this is going to be my son, but also there's enemies rising up. Right. Take him to Egypt. But what I, what I think is great about this is- Every time we try to do something good in our lives or God puts a promise like, <laughs> you are a child of God, now go. And um, Or when we did Dave Ramsey, you know, you're trying to save up uh, your emergency oh, yeah. fund. And anytime you try to save up your emergency fund, the first thing that happens is your car breaks, uh, computer breaks, your air conditioner goes out. There's testing. Something essential. And we always interpret it as, wrong. oh, man, God's not with me. I guess I shouldn't do this. But when you really go through the scriptures, you realize, oh, after the promise comes the testing. Mm-hmm. And in Abraham's uh, case, he, there's a famine, goes to Egypt. He knows his wife is beautiful. And he's kind of wealthy. Yeah. And the Egyptian pharaoh does what a pharaoh always does, which is, you have something I want. You're in my land. I'm taking it. And also, the idea, too, is... Uh, you see Abram, who's wealthy, 
and you want to make an alliance with him, so you marry a, a relative. Right. And, and so you're Abraham, like, oh, we're one now. Abraham knows this is something you'll see him do several times because it's in his arsenal of dealing with life. We all have our own arsenal. Uh, his is to say, hey, Sarah, when we go into this place, you say you're my sister. Otherwise, they'll kill me and mm-hmm. take you. And it's kind of shrewd. It's kind of smart. But it's uh, Abraham, Abraham is learning that he can just quietly trust the promises of God and not have to do uh, figure it out for himself. And the end of that story is God figures it out for him. He sends plagues on Pharaoh's family. And Does he send plagues? He sends plagues oh, on that's the a family. Precursor. Yeah, on Pharaoh's family. And that's Pharaoh right. gives Sarah back to him, going, like, take her. Like, I don't know why you let me take her. You should have just told me to begin with. He says, why did you say she's my sister? Yeah. And I took her for my wife. And then he says, here we go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning them. And they sent her away. Uh, sent him away with all that he had. And did he bless, did he give him stuff too? Or no, he just, that's another story. But yeah, Pharaoh is like, please leave my land. Leave me alone. Go away. <laughs> so this is, now we're caught up, right? Uh, no, now we got to do oh. chapter 13 real quick. Well, chapter 13 then. So this is what's happening with Abram. They return to the land of Canaan. Return. And as they are there now, because they've been growing and being a little bit blessed here. Yeah, a lot blessed. Abraham is starts to fight with his uh, nephew, Lot. Actually, it's, it says that their... Um, servants are fighting. Their servants are fighting. It's like whose stuff is what stuff. It's getting too big. It's getting a little cramped. Yeah. And so Abraham says, or I guess he's still Abram at this point. Mm-hmm. He says, choose which way to go, this way or that way. And Lot says, well, that way it looks like a garden. It's really lush. And it's toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Abraham says, all right, take whatever which way you want to go. And so he takes the good land. Abram instead takes the promise of God and stays Canaan. in Canaan. Mm-hmm. And remember, um, he is an alien. That is, he is he is walking in a land that's not his with the promise that one day this will be yours. Yeah. It's an interesting place, but that's how we live. We're the inheritors right. of the earth, but we are of no consequence to the earth right now. No one knows us. We're not giving speeches on the Golden Globes. No one cares what we think. Yet, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And so uh, Abraham then splits with Lot. Lot takes what he thinks is good. And uh, Abram goes back to Canaan and starts creating um, altars in this foreign land to God. So the big thing here is Abraham is crying out to God. In the land of the promise. In the land of the promise. And my only thought here, because we have to go to the New Testament reading now, is that the promise, God cares more about the promise than even Mm. Abraham does. Yes. That God cares more about his promise to restore life on earth through you more than you and I care. And it's God's pure grace to, so he's maintaining the promise, even though Abraham is going to mess it up and rely on himself at times. Mm -hmm. Abraham uh, will, and we'll see in tomorrow's reading how Abraham chooses to believe, but but just remember, God God cares more about the promise than even we do. It's His promise. All right, so All right. that's woo. That's the Old Testament Old reading. Old Testament reading. Now let's go to a little New Testament reading. This is our New Testament reading music. New Testament reading is Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-three through chapter five, verse forty-two. All right, so we are. Let's turn in our Bibles there. So Matthew 4, 23. The first thing I have is uh, he calls 
No. Calls no. the disciples. He did that last time. He did that last time. Jesus starts his ministry. Mm-hmm. And the thing, first thing he starts to do is reveal his uh, divine nature. So Jesus has been living only in his human nature and hiding his divine nature, mm-hmm. the hidden God. And now he's starting to still operate in his human nature, but show his divine nature. And he shows that through, surprise, surprise, healing. He heals every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick and all the afflicted. So what we're seeing is Jesus, as the fulfillment of the promise, Mm -hmm. is revealing to those with faith, those who can believe it are coming to him, and he's restoring health because he's all about life. He's all about the promise of God, which is completeness and hope. And I want to point out that he is, again, he's doing this in Galilee, Mm. which is the margins of Jewish society at this time. It, they're in constant contact with Gentiles because there's a high Gentile population, and mm-hmm. these Jewish people are considered uh, unclean because they're surrounded by so many Gentiles. But this is where God, Jesus, starts his ministry. Right. He goes to the margins, to the people who you would, who don't deserve it right, and don't feel like they deserve it. And that's why his fame spreads. And with his fame... He, um, we get to the famous chapter five, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. which is purposeful by Jesus to be on a mountain speaking with authority to God. And remember, it's the word of God, which performs and creates. And the first thing Jesus says is to his disciples and all who would be disciples, the something called the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. which uh, really translated is just happy or blessed. And Jesus is saying, you are blessed when you're poor. In his kingdom, so he's coming out and announcing himself as the king, as God's son. He's already been crowned, really. His baptism says, I'm identifying with you. I'm crowned. I'm your king. And here's what you need to know if you're going to follow me. Blessed are you when you're poor. Why? Because I'm going to be your king. Mm -hmm. Blessed are you when you mourn. And you mourn the death of me and the death of things. But I will comfort you. Blessed are you who are meek that you aren't of great uh, consequence in this world, but you actually are the inheritors of the earth. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst. Like as your king, I will satisfy your thirst and hunger for rightness. Blessed are you when you receive mercy and give mercy because I'm forgiving you all your sins. And he goes on to say, here's why you're blessed. The pure in heart will see the face of God. The ones who announce peace will be called the sons of God. Those who are persecuted for Christ's sake, you're in good company, all the prophets, and even... God in the flesh will be persecuted, but don't worry, you're blessed because the reign of God has begun. So Jesus is um, speaking with authority, saying you're blessed, but don't get confused. Being children of the promise is not the easiest thing to do. It requires believing the promise of God and, because he has the authority to speak it. So that's the, that's the beginning part of the Beatitudes, which gives me a lot of comfort because I can identify being poor and hungering and thirsting and wanting more. And instead of trying to justify myself, I get to say, God, you reign. And I thank you, Jesus. But then he goes on from there to do the rest. Uh, we'll get a little bit into this Sermon on the Mount. But Matt, you break down what's kind of, what's happening here. Yeah, so the next is he declares that those who can admit that they are spiritually bankrupt and do not have enough and need this king, you are salt and light. And... For me, I've always interpreted this like we have to be saltier or we have to be lighter. But he's just saying, this is who you are, and I will not hide you. 
Like you, I'm proud of you. And I'm learning um, as Val's teaching me how to cook, as I make eggs, she's like, you salt throughout the whole process mm-hmm. of doing it a little bit here and that will bring out the real flavors of the egg or whatever. And I like that. It's not just a last minute saltiness, mm-hmm. but it's like throughout the process, we're bringing out the real flavors and the completeness of life. And then Christ then makes this amazing, bold statement that he has come to fulfill all of the law. And then he goes to break down what the law really requires. And it's more than just what even the uh, Pharisees or the Jewish spiritual leaders at this point have written out. It's far more devastating and crushing and and impossible to meet. It's amazing because the law of God, Jesus is not against the law. I don't think that he says, I don't think I came to destroy the law because the law is the will of God. God created us to live in a way that doesn't murder and doesn't kill and doesn't steal. And so Jesus says, no, I've come to keep it. And so the good news is I'll keep it. I can keep it. The bad news is the law is way more pure and way more demanding and condemning than you. Like you think you do it well, like you think um, you haven't murdered anybody. But I say to you, if you have anger, you've murdered. You know, he like, yeah. like you said, he, he kicks it up a notch. Like, oh, you haven't, com- you haven't committed adultery on your wives. But if you look at a woman with a little bit of lust, you've committed adultery. Like the purity of God's law right. is way more than we can sustain. And when you actually engage it, it should break you down. You either go one way or the other. Yeah. Like you, you stick your feet in the sand and you go, oh, you pull back and you say, oh, I'm going to, I can do these. And you have to justify yourself or you admit like, whoa. I have broken this. Yeah, I thought I was doing good. I'm not. What do I do? And that leads you to cry out to Christ because Christ says, I will fulfill the law. I will do it. To this extent. To the extent of I won't have a a lustful thought. I won't have an angry thought. I will will be pure, which is crazy. And and that's where, where do we end here? We end uh, in retaliation, the section of, yeah. Yeah, so he goes through divorce. And keeping oaths, and then I say an eye for an eye, or you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say don't resist the one who is evil, and he's turn the other cheek, which is the impossible thing for us to do, and we need Jesus to do that. But that's also why Jesus is able to love the world um, right. at the same time as taking care of his kids, you know. And so from this, I get, uh, from the readings in the New Testament, I get the law is bigger and more powerful than we think. But Christ is more pure and powerful than we think, yes. and he will do it. And this goes even with our Old Testament reading. Like God cares so much about the promise to restore us that he sends his own son to not uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it on our behalf. It's the grace of God. This is uh, the theme that we, can, we can't get anchored enough in. Sure. Um, so that is our um, New Testament reading. All right, time now for our Psalms of the day. You can go, yeah. All right, we are doing Psalms 4 and 5 today. What do they say, Matt? And really, we just wanted to, these Psalms are really good. And even if you just read through the Psalms and the Proverbs over the year, yeah, uh, it administers the gospel to you. Uh, I'm just going to read the first First couple verses and last couple verses of Psalms 4. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. 
You have put more joy in my heart than they when their than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Cool. And that's that's the theme of the Psalms. And in Psalm five, he says, God hears my voice. I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Spread your wing over us as a shield. Heavenly Father, bless your word. Write it on our hearts that we might learn to trust in quietness, that the quietness and trust would be our strength. Bless all who listen to this. And we thank you for the opportunity and the ability to read your word and share it with one another. You bless it. You keep your promise uh, through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. We'll uh, talk again next time on Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Thank you.